Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody that's here this morning. Hope you've had a happy Thanksgiving, uh, got to be with your families. Want to welcome those of you who are joining with us this morning on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter there, on our phone live streaming, uh, especially if you're on any of those uh, social media platforms. Be sure to like, to heart, to share, uh, comment there in the comments. All that just helps to get the word out. Uh, to everyone that we're having our services. And don't forget, if you need that number for our phone live streaming, see me after the service. We'll be glad to give that to you. All you have to do is call it one time, and it'll call you back uh, every time we begin with our services. Uh, if you ever decide you want to not get those calls, you can push a button once it gives you that call, and it won't give you those calls uh, anymore. So just wanted to let you know about that. If you're at home and you have access to our church website, go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab uh, there that you can find uh, the worship bulletin for today. You can find the children's worship bulletins. Uh, so please be sure to get those downloaded there. You can find uh, the children's worship bulletins over here in the windowsill to my right. The bulletins are at the doors and in the windowsills too, uh, where you can grab those. And then we also have our prayer list. Be sure to get that downloaded. We've been praying for several. Uh, glad to see some of those who are here uh, this morning, but we want to encourage you to be praying uh, for those individuals who are on the prayer list there. Uh, welcome again. If you're one of our first-time guests, want to encourage you uh, to pick up one of the bags to see on either side of the stage or at the doors as you leave out in the hallway back behind me. Uh, we just have some gifts in it that we want to give to you that says, thank you for being here with us. Uh, we want to welcome you this morning, but it also has some information about our church. So please be sure to get one of those. If you brought a guest, make sure that they get one too. So, Brother Mike, you'll come and leave. Hello, everybody. Take your hymnals this morning and turn to hymn number 15 and sing with the choir as we sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Y'all stand. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, calls for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I praise mine Ebenezer. Come. 
this on the screen, our missionary of the week is Itamar Elizade. Uh, she is serving in Puerto Rico since 2015. You know that they've had several uh, hurricanes that have hit Puerto Rico uh, in the last several years. Uh, she serves as the on-ground coordinator for those volunteer teams that come to Puerto Rico to help with the construction projects. And so there's still a lot uh, that is going on there from those construction projects from the past. Uh, we still continue even across the United States with disasters, uh, continuing to serve through our disaster relief teams uh, in places all across the United States also, but especially as we're emphasizing this morning in Puerto Rico. So we want to remember uh, Itamar Elizalde and her uh, ministry there in Puerto Rico, as well as all of our missionaries across North America and around the world. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can come to worship you. And Lord, we just thank you for this week uh, that we've had of thanksgiving of the many blessings that you have given to us. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be just at this week that we uh, remember those things we're thankful for, but that every day, Lord, uh, we would begin to look at those things in our lives from a different perspective, knowing that even through the bad things that we may go through, there is some hope, Lord, that there is things that we can be uh, thankful for. And Father, I just pray that we'll help, you'll help us, Lord, to find our, our strength strength in you, knowing, Lord, that you are with us and you will walk with us, whether we're walking through the valley or whether we're on the mountaintop. Lord, thank you for the many blessings that you've given to us, especially that of our salvation. Lord, we want to thank you for individuals who have answered the call to missions like Itamar Elizalde, who is serving there in Puerto Rico. Father, we just pray that you would bless the work that continues to go on there from the disasters of hurricanes that have hit Puerto Rico, uh, as well as uh, those missionaries who are serving all around uh, this nation and even around the world who are a part of Send Relief and helping, Lord, through disaster relief uh, to minister to people by continuing those construction projects, continuing to help people in those communities that have been devastated. We just pray that you'll open up opportunities for Itamar there to be able to share the gospel uh, for those teams that are coming, Lord, put, watch over them and provide for their safety and keep them safe in your arms as they go to serve there in Puerto Rico. And Father, we just pray this morning as we come to worship you, uh, we just give our hearts, we give our lives, we give our all to you, and we ask, Lord, for your will to be done in our lives. Thank you so much for the blessings of this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let me just remind you, you have your offering envelopes in the pews in front of you. You can uh, do your giving at the uh, offering plates here at the front or at the doors uh, as you leave. You can also do that online. Uh, go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. Uh, just go over to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab, and you can do your online giving there. So I encourage you to take the time uh, to do that. And then let me just remind you, we do have the parade uh, coming up uh, this Friday. Uh, we do need some help with some stuffing of some uh, bags that we have. We have an uh, insert that the Tennessee Baptist Convention is sending to us. Uh, we don't have all these yet, but we will be getting these this week. So we have bags. This will go in. It's the Christmas story. Uh, it shares the gospel with people. Uh, we also have a little insert about our Christmas program that's coming up uh, on December uh, the, the 17th at 6, 6 o'clock. So I want to encourage you. We'll be putting posters out about that for you to share. And then we'll also have a packet of hot chocolate for you to put in. If you're willing to help us with that, uh, would you find me at this door? I'll be at this door shaking people's hands as you leave uh, today. Find me at that door and let me know so that uh, I can be sure to call you as soon as those things come in so that you can help us uh, with packing those bags. We have about 
Uh, we're hoping to have about 2,000. We know we'll have at least 1,000, uh, but just want to encourage you, if you can, to help us uh, with that to get those packed. So it's a wonderful opportunity as we give those out to people on the parade route, so just wanted to let you know that. And then if you know anything about the trees of Christmas that are at South Jackson, uh, we were asked earlier uh, a couple of months ago about putting a Christmas tree in there from our church. Uh, we are the only church that I know of that is involved in that uh, through our community, so we do have a tree that's up. want to encourage if you get the opportunity to stop by South Jackson and to uh, encourage the other uh, businesses there, but to see our tree from our church uh, also. And don't you like these decorations this morning? Amen. Amen. It looks awesome. We're looking forward, getting in the Christmas spirit already, uh, and looking forward to our Christmas program that will be coming up. So, Brother Mike, if you'll pray. Psalms 10731 says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. We've all been blessed. And let's sing a song about counting our blessings. So join us as we sing 644. When the fall lies billows, you are tempest-tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Oh, God. 
as we're preparing for our next hymn, Children's Church will be gathering here on the piano side. And we ask that the rest of you, if you would, stand and join us as we sing 187. I can find it. And it's my favorite. And I know it's a lot of others in, in, in the church's favorite also, but this, this is a special hymn to me. So y'all stand and let's sing In the Garden, 187.
Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, verse 1 through 15. We're still continuing our walk through the life of Jesus. I know this is the Christmas season uh, coming up, but you'll see how all of this, as we get closer to Christmas, uh, ties back in uh, to everything there for Christmas. And so uh, as we come to Matthew 28, we're going to see some things that we saw again uh, last week here about the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but we're going to understand and see some other things that we haven't yet gotten into, especially as we get to verse 11 uh, down through verse 15. So if you would, let's stand and read God's Word in honor of His Word. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to begin with verse 1 down through verse 10, and then we'll pick up verse 11 in just a moment. So now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that from this passage, Lord, we will see and experience this morning the power of the resurrection. Lord, I pray for those especially who've never trusted by faith in Jesus as our Lord and their Savior, that this message will speak to their hearts about your love for them, about your provision for them in sending Jesus to down the cross for our sins. And Lord, for those who have already accepted uh, Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, uh, who have surrendered to his Lordship over their lives, lives. Father, I pray that you would embolden them in a special way, especially during this holiday season, to share the gospel message with those around them when more people than ever are receptive to hearing about Jesus and his birth and what he came to do on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. So bless us this morning about the power of the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can sit down. You know, we live in a day when religion is looked at so often as a matter of preference uh, or opinion. You know, many pe people believe that all religions are fundamentally the same. The, the differences are only superficial. Uh, simply, you just go about your life, choose whatever works best for you, and along the way, the questions of truth, you can just completely avoid those. Uh, living that way, though, is a huge and costly mistake. Uh, understand that belief is irresponsible and empty if it's not based in the truth, in the truth of the Word of God. People say what's true for you may not be true for me, but no one really believes that, do you? Because after all, what would you think if you went to withdraw your money for, at the bank and the teller said, well, I don't feel like you have that kind of money in your account. 
I mean, you know what's in your account. You know what the balance is. But the teller says, well, I just don't feel like you have that money in your account. How the teller feels wouldn't matter to you if you needed money. Whatever is true for you had better be true for the teller as well. Either you have money in your account or you don't. The last thing we want banks doing is giving out money based on how they feel. In most areas of everyday life, we operate instinctively on the, basic, uh, uh, the basis of truth rather than feelings and preferences. And yet when it comes to the most important questions in life, questions that deal uh, with eternal realities, why in the world would we want to disregard truth and the questions of truth? I mean, think about it. Do you think God really rules uh, this world based on what we prefer, on what we feel? So when you look at those first verses that we've just read in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 down through verse 10, we see the same message that we saw uh, last week in, in John's gospel. And it tells us the event in all of history and our response to it ought to be based on truth, not feelings. Because our eternity hangs on whether the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened. That is the crucial basic foundation for us as Christians. And so Matthew here gives a rather brief and straightforward account of the resurrection. Even though these events are uh, recorded in these verses are nothing short of supernatural and spectacular. And so he starts there just as John did telling us about Mary Magdalene and the other Mary uh, who were the eyewitnesses uh, to the re resurrection and, and how they get there. They find the tomb is, is already open. They see an angel who speaks to them. Uh, he tells them to go. They go and they run into Jesus and Jesus uh, makes himself known to them and they touch him and, and then they go with fear and great joy to go tell the other disciples. Uh, and, and so when these women go to tell the disciples, what we learned last week is that Peter and John, they rushed to verify the story. Uh, Matthew also tells us some more things, though, that we want to pick up with in verse 11 down through verse 15. And so let's take a look at those verses because this is where we want to spend the crux of our message this morning. So it says, while they were going, while they were going to go tell those disciples, Behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And they said to them, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So I, I want you to see this morning some alternative uh, presentations here or possibilities to the resurrection that, that, that were hypothesized as this was, is one of those that have come out through history through individuals. Before we do that, though, I want you to look uh, at a couple of things that we need to take note of. One of the things you need to take note of here is first, these were women who were the first witnesses to the resurrection, and, and they were the unlikely witnesses to the resurrection because in general, their 
testimonies in that culture would not have been highly valued. If Matthew, think about this, if Matthew and the other gospel writers were going to try to persuade people of, of a hoax, then choosing two women as the first eyewitnesses to the tomb seemed like a strange choice. If you were going to make up a story about the most significant miracle that the world has ever known, uh, why would you put four questionable witnesses as, as evidence, uh, questionable witnesses of that day uh, as being women? They would have, people would have respected a man's witness more than they would have woman. That's wrong to do, uh, but in that day, that's what happened. And, and so they were the most unlikely witnesses to the resurrection. Secondly, notice in verses 11 through 15 that the guards... They never, not once, deny that Jesus' body was missing from the tomb. Their main concern was coming up with an alternative explanation. If the disciples had been making all of this up when all the, Jew, all the Jewish leaders, all they had to do was just produce the body of Jesus, and it would have put an end to everything. They could have made a mockery of those disciples, but no one actually denied that the tomb holding the crucified body of Jesus was now empty. It would have been foolish to deny the truth because it would be easy to disprove such a denial. A better explanation was and is needed for the fact of an empty tomb. And even to this day, the ultimate question for the Christian faith and for our individual lives is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Now, as we said last week, we're not talking about resuscitation. We're not talking about reincarnation. We're talking about resurrection. In other words, was Jesus dead for three days and did he afterwards rise up and physically walk out of the tomb? That's a question of truth, not preference. Jesus either did arise or he didn't arise. And the ramifications of your decision one way or the other are, are eternal. So if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, think about that. Then, then we as Christians are wasting our time. Our faith is a lie, and we're simply fools playing a religious game. In fact, that's what Paul says over in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 19, that we are pitied, to be pitied more than anyone if we have hoped in Jesus in this life only, and the resurrection is a hoax. But if Jesus did arise from the grave, then the situation is drastically different. You know, most people think that the burden of proof uh, lies exclusively on Christians to, to give the evidence of the resurrection. But that's not entirely true. Yes, there's a burden of truth on those who believe in Jesus, but there's also a burden of proof on unbelievers. I mean, think about what has to be explained. There's no question, even among the most secular of scholars, that around 2,000 years ago, there was an entirely new religious movement and community that were formed, it seemed, almost overnight. And immediately, hundreds of people started claiming that Jesus had arose from the grave and, and, then, and, and began to claim even what it proclaimed that, even though it meant that they could possibly die for such a claim. This fast-growing movement of people, which now makes up one-third of the world's population by some estimates, survives as a result. How do you explain that? 
If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then there's a burden of proof to provide some other convincing explanation for how the church began. And so we need to consider several uh, alternative possibilities with the question in mind, which of these possibilities is the most plausible? In other words, plausibility ought to be the criteria for proving the resurrection because there's virtually nothing in history that can be established with a 100% certainty. I mean, that's where sometimes secular uh, people, non-believers want to go to and say, well, you have to prove to me 100% that this happened. Uh, yet that's not what happens in life. For instance, we can, can we really know with 100% certainty that George Washington was the first president of the United States? I mean, think about it. We, we've been taught that, but isn't it possible that he was just a mythical figure that people wrote about and invented in order to encourage the citizens of a new country? Let me ask you this. Were any of you there to shake his hand? You didn't see him? You didn't touch him? But we've been taught that George Washington is our first president. So we're almost certain that's not the case of, of, of that explanation that I said there. But we're here today, uh, we here today, we can't say with 100% certainty that he was president. Someone once said we can't know 100% certainty that all of us weren't created five minutes ago completely with built-in memories and food in our stomachs. You can see how much of a headache that would be to establish perfect certainty for any past event. So the question is, what is the most plausible? Or what can be established as the most, uh, with, with the most certainty? So the power of the resurrection is unmistakable even 2,000 years later. So let's look at some of these possibilities of the resurrection. Here, possible explanations for Jesus' resurrection have been proposed throughout history, with some dating back even to the first century. So, so let's look at several of those. First, some people say that Jesus didn't die on the cross, a, a claim that comes in different forms. In fact, Muslims, for example, say that Jesus didn't go to the cross. Rather, it was an individual who died on the cross who only looked <coughs> like Jesus. In fact, according to the Quran, <coughs> that's what Muhammad taught. There's a, that's the point where, where two dominant religions in this world, Christianity and Islam, diverge. And notice that this is a point of truth, not a, not a point of, of preference or ideology or opinion. So despite what Muhammad said six centuries after it happened, those who are much closer to the historical situation, whether it was Christians or non-Christians alike, reported that it was indeed Jesus who died on that cross. Uh, another version of that same explanation holds that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. This theory is what some call the swoon theory which says that Jesus was just on that cross and because of all that excruciating pain that he was going through, uh, that punishment that he suffered or, or that, that he just fainted or, or that he was drugged to fake his death. They say that it was in fact Jesus of Nazareth who went to the cross, but instead of dying, he was only hurt really, really badly. And so as the theory goes, Jesus fainted, he became unconscious, at which time the soldiers thought he was dead, but due to the time constraints with the Passover feast, they took him down before he actually died. They quickly buried him. Later, 
Jesus in the cool air of that tomb regains his breath, his strength, regains consciousness, escapes the tomb. That explanation certainly explains away the supernatural elements of overcoming death, but think about what that requires. It assumes that Jesus went through six trials, had no sleep, a brutal scourging, had thorns uh, thrust upon his head, nails thrust into his hands and his feet, and after hours on a cross, had a spear thrust into his side. Then as if that weren't enough, he was wrapped in grave clothes, put in a tomb with a large stone rolled over the entrance that was guarded by armed Roman soldiers. And in that situation, in that physical condition, are we really expected to believe that Jesus regains consciousness, stealthily nudges that stone out of the way, tiptoes past those guards, uh, that are standing nearby and calmly went about his way. That seems highly unlikely, if not ridiculous. Needless to say, we can safely label that possibility as implausible. A second possibility for the resurrection is the idea that Jesus' tomb was empty. This is often described as the wrong tomb theory. In other words, that when those women went to the tomb that first Easter morning, in their grief and in their shock over Jesus' death, they somehow went to the wrong tomb and, and mistakenly thought that Jesus had arisen, and presumably everybody else going to the wrong tomb as well. Uh, and, and that led them to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. And since that time, everybody's been going to the wrong tomb. If they would have just looked next door, they would have found the body. That's what that theory supposes. The idea that Jesus' tomb wasn't empty falls, fails on multiple levels because the last thing that Roman or Jewish authorities wanted was for a group of people to claim that their leader had risen from the dead, which is why the guards go uh, to, the, to, the, to the leaders there. Uh, it's why they, they were posted at the tomb. Is it really possible and plausible that these guards were guarding the wrong tomb? In reality, no one would have believed Jesus' resurrection if the tomb wasn't actually empty. Somebody could have said, oh, wait a second, you've been going to the wrong tomb. Here's this tomb over here. And they could have opened it and seen there. And, and if they had done that, even the Christian movement would have been shut down from the start. We, we stand on pretty firm historical ground that the tomb was empty, even though that in and of itself doesn't prove the resurrection of Jesus. The third possibility is this, is that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. I mean, that's what they came to the conclusion with here. Uh, that was the conspiracy that the Jewish authorities, with the help of the guards, uh, spread from the very beginning in verse 11 through verse 15. And, and so that explanation is unlikely, though, for at least two reasons, because it's unlikely that these fearful, scared Galilean disciples somehow outmaneuvered a guard of highly skilled Roman soldiers in order to do what the Jewish and Roman authorities were trying to make sure wouldn't happen. Secondly, the very idea of a resurrection was a preposterous idea to many people in that day. So why would the disciples take and, and concoct such a risky plan in order to proclaim an event that no one even had categories for in talking about a resurrection? I mean, think about it. Many would-be messiahs were executed in the first century, yet in none of their accounts do we find that any of their followers 
claimed that their leader had risen from the dead. And so a resurrection uh, like the one the disciples were proclaiming wasn't even a part uh, of the religious environment of Jesus' day. I mean, in, in much of the Greco-Roman thought of that day, the goal in life was to be free. It was to be liberated from the body. Uh, think about that. Uh, for so many Jews, the, the idea of individual resurrection to come back into a world of sickness and decay and death, that was just inconceivable to them. And so the kind of resurrection that Jesus experienced wasn't even an option in their minds. So why would the disciples steal the body of Jesus and then tell people that his body had been resurrected? Because when the facts of the empty tomb and the sightings of Jesus are taken together, the alternative theories for the resurrection begin to become more and more implausible. If you only have an empty tomb but no sightings of Jesus, then you've got something going on, but not a resurrection. It might be assumed that the body was stolen. On the other hand, if the disciples stole the body and then claimed that Jesus was alive, and yet nobody ever saw him, then it would have been concluded, these men are just making up a story. But if people actually saw Jesus after he died on a cross, and if the tomb is clearly empty, then you've got deeper questions that need to be answered. And so that leads us to the next possibility for the resurrection. Because there are some scholars who have argued that the disciples were delusional when they claimed to see Jesus. The people of Jesus' day, they say, didn't have scientific knowledge that we have today, the theory goes, and so they were more prone to believe in the supernatural. In their pain and in their grief over Jesus' death, the disciples still believed that Jesus was somehow guiding them, somehow leading them. They even had visions in their minds of Jesus speaking to them. They may or may not have believed that Jesus was still physically alive, but they believed he was alive spiritually. And so this myth supposedly grew over the years and it eventually morphs into the idea that Jesus arose from the grave physically and that's why the disciples write that down in their accounts in the gospel. Some scholars have argued that the disciples were hallucinating when they claim to have seen those events. However, those and other theories concerning uh, the mental state of the disciples don't account well for the shift in the disciples' worldview that occurred overnight. Because think about what happened. There was no process, no development, no debate or discussion, and yet in a relatively very short time, thousands upon thousands of people believed that Jesus arose from the grave. It's the one thing to it's one thing to claim that the disciples were delusional, but how do you explain their influence and their dramatic change in their behavior in the days after the resurrection? Because in addition to those 12 disciples, it wasn't just them. There were hundreds of other people who claimed to have seen Jesus Christ. You know, unlike the reported miracles that you hear about uh, even today, this was more than just one individual who claimed to have seen a Christ-like figure image in the clouds. Jesus ate with them. Jesus drank with people. He talked with people. Hallucinations don't eat or drink. This wasn't just the spiritual imagination. It was physical presence. And maybe a few people could have been deluded into thinking they had seen Jesus. But here's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 6. Over 500 brothers at one time saw him. 
In other words, Paul was saying, you can, you can di try to discount what we're saying, but go ask those other 500 who saw him at one time. Go ask them what they saw, and, and you can verify it. So, so individuals in the first century were able to investigate the claims of the resurrection by speaking with the disciples, by speaking with those hundreds of eyewitnesses who had physically seen Jesus. In fact, these eyewitnesses to the risen Christ were openly telling people about what they had seen, and some were even losing their lives for it. I mean, think about it. Telling others about the resurrection wasn't in their best interest. It's highly unlikely that the early Christians fabricated this idea of the resurrection. So given the implausibility of the explanations that we've seen so far, there's only one explanation that remains. Jesus died on the cross and actually arose from the grave. So if you claim that the physical resurrection of Christ didn't necessarily cause the radical shift in history, then you have to present some other idea. How in the world did that happen? How in the world did the church then come to be? The lives of, of Jesus' followers were radically changed as a result of seeing Jesus, as a result of following the risen Christ. It's significant that even the most hardened advocates against Christianity, chief of whom would have been in the Bible, Paul. Remember, it was Paul who was going around killing Christians for doing this very thing, going around and telling about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul was killing people for doing that. And yet Paul, when he meets Jesus, his life is radically transformed and changed after seeing the resurrected Christ. How do you explain that? From the earliest days of the church, the Bible tells us that people have worked to cover up Jesus' resurrection. And yet every proposed explanation always falls short. If on the other hand, though, the resurrection is true, if Jesus indeed did down that cross and actually arise from the grave, then the implications of these truths are startling. That's what I want you to see next are the implications of the resurrection. Because understand this, Christianity either rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why the resurrection has been uh, tried to be discredited all throughout history. Now, that doesn't minimize everything else that Jesus did, especially on the cross. However, we can only see the significance of the cross and the rest of Jesus' perfect work through the lens of the resurrection. So when Matthew records for us these events in chapter 28, he is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit making claims that change the world. So, so let's look at some of these implications concerning the authority of Jesus, Jesus Christ based on the resurrection. So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we don't have anything to worry about in anything that he said because it would all be a lie. But if he did rise from the dead, then we have to accept everything he said because his authority is absolute. His authority is absolute. Jesus' absolute authority based on the resurrection means that he has authority over life and death. Because shortly before his own death, 
Here's what Jesus told his disciples in John's Gospel in John 10 and verse 18. He said, no one takes it. What's he talking about? His life. He said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right or the authority to lay it down, and I have the right or the authority to take it up again. If Jesus rose from the dead, then we have to admit his authority over life and death, but we also have to admit his authority over sin and Satan. Because every single one of us are, are doomed to die because of our sin. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? For the wages of sin is death. And so everybody dies because of their sin. Because death is the payment for sin. But Jesus is the one man in all of history who died without sinning. So why did he die? He died for our sins. He died in our place. And after his death, Jesus rose from the grave, not only in victory over death, but in victory over sin. And so the fact that Jesus has authority over life and death, as well as over sin and Satan, leads us to one unavoidable conclusion. He has authority over us. That is... He is our rightful Lord and Master. Paul speaks to this reality in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through verse 13. Here's what he says. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart... One believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scriptures say, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that what John 3.16 tells us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who? That whosoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, is for everyone. And so what does it mean for Jesus to have absolute authority over us. It means that he reigns over us supremely. He is the sovereign ruler uh, over our lives. That's the case whether you believe it or not. It's just like the grass is green or, or in this time of year it's brown like it is, regardless of whether or not you believe it. So also Jesus is Lord over you regardless of, of your approval. And so Scripture says that one day, not just the Christians, not just those who believe are going to bow, but the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means those who are saved and those who are lost. So, so whether you believe in the resurrection 
or not. He doesn't need your approval. The question isn't whether or not Jesus is Lord. The question is, will you submit to him as Lord now or will you do it then when it's too late? Because not only does Jesus' authority mean that he reigns over us supremely, here's what it also means. He loves us deeply. He loves us deeply. I mean, remember that the whole purpose of the resurrection of, is Jesus' love for us. God sent His Son to, to pay the price for our sin. Uh, for God so loved the world. That's the whole point of His death on the cross. That's the whole point of His resurrection is His love for us. God sent His Son, Jesus, to pay the price for our son, sins. And the resurrection lets us know that our hope of salvation is not some made-up story. It's not some fanciful myth as the world would have us to believe today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ validates everything that He said, everything He taught, everything He told us He came to do. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul tells us that the Son of God loved us and gave Himself for us. We ought to rejoice that, that Jesus' love demonstrated in both, his, both in His cross and in His resurrection. But then notice also that Jesus' authority over us means that He will judge us eternally. For all those who believe in Jesus, the truth of Jesus Christ's judgment, that's good news for us. It's good news because you can be saved from eternal judgment if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead. So understand, His role as judge is also good news because the resurrection reminds us that this world is not all there is. If our only expectations for this life is for this life, then, then we have no hope in the face of, of tragedy in this world. Furthermore, Jesus Christ's judgment means that, that our efforts are, are for justice in this world are, are meaning, meaning, become meaningful. Tim Keller said this. He said in his book, he says this, your skeptical secular friends ought to want the resurrection to be true, even if they can't believe in the resurrection. Most of them, he said, care deeply about justice for the poor, alleviating hunger and disease, and caring for the environment. And yet many of them believe that the material world was caused by accident and that the world and everything in it will eventually simply just burn up. They find it discouraging that so few people care about justice without realizing that their own worldview undermines any motivation to make the world a better place. Why sacrifice for the need of others if in the end nothing we do will make any difference? However, if the resurrection of Jesus happened, that means there's infinite hope and reason to pour ourselves out for the needs of the world. All of us have a built-in desire and longing for meaning and purpose. 
And that tells us that this world is not the entire picture. Think about this. Neither disease nor natural disasters have the last word in this world because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, Jesus has the last word. And he'll have the last word in the lives of every one of us for all eternity. So we see the possibilities. We see the implications of the resurrection. That leads us to the final point, the power of the resurrection. Because the power of the resurrection is seen in that question we began with this morning. Did Jesus rise from the dead? The answer to that question comes from and forms the basis of two truths, two questions. First, do you believe in the historical resurrection of Jesus? Romans 10, 9 says that you must believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead in order to be saved. And that's the point where the message of Christianity is radically different from every other religion in this world. Scripture doesn't, doesn't give us a, a, a list of things to do, boxes to check off uh, that we have to do, rituals to follow. There's only one truth, and that's to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe the truth of the gospel, then the burden of proof is on you to disprove the resurrection. The second part of this question also has to do with Romans chapter 10, verse 9, because there's more involved in salvation than just believing in the resurrection. I mean, think about that. A lot of people say they believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but there are undoubtedly many of them who aren't saved uh, from their sins. We know that intellectual assent doesn't save, because even the devil himself, the Bible says, believes in the resurrection of Jesus, and he's not saved from sin. Lots of people give lip service to Jesus, but their lives aren't surrendered to the absolute authority of Jesus Christ. That's why we have, we have to ask the question, do we surrender to the universal authority of Jesus? That, that's what it means to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. To confess with your mouth is not saying some magical words. Rather, it's about a heart condition that says, yes, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Yes, I believe that he rose from the grave as my Savior. And my life belongs to him as Lord. Eternity depends on our answer to that question. When you look at the evidence, you see the power of the resurrection. If you don't believe in the power of the resurrection here this morning, let me just ask you to look around. Because there are people in this room who have trusted by faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They don't just believe it here in their mind, they've, they've surrendered to His Lordship in their heart. Their lives have been radically transformed, and changed. Some of the best evidence that you'll see. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Some of us have accepted that free gift of, of salvation. We won't be perfect 
until we get to heaven. So if you're thinking that, that there's just a bunch of hypocrites down at the church, that's why I won't come to Christ, there's always going to be hypocrites in the world. There are going to be hypocrites in every form of society that you'll ever find. Just look at government. Here in the church, it's no different. There are people who profess with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. The question for you this morning is, is He your Lord? Is He your Savior? Eternity depends on your answer to that question. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for who You are and for the blessing of Your Word. That, Lord, even though in the days right there at the time of the resurrection... There were those who were trying to discount the resurrection, to bring down the movement that you had created of people coming to faith in Christ, the church itself that begins to be established. Father, we know from the evidence, from what we've seen this morning, there is no more plausible explanation than the gospel accounts. And so, Father, I pray this morning that there are those who, whether they're here in person or they're online watching, Lord, there's no greater time than right now, the present, to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Lord, they've already heard from Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if we believe in our hearts and we profess, confess with our lips, we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we profess with our lips Jesus as Lord, we surrender to his lordship over our lives, then we will be saved. Father, I pray they've seen the love that you've shown to them, that you didn't want them to stay in their sin. So you made a way through sending Jesus who died on the cross for their sin, died in their place so they could have eternal life. Father, I pray they would trust in you this morning simply calling out to you and saying, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe, not just in my head, but in my heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he died in my place, and that he arose as my Lord and my Savior. And I trust in him this morning. Jesus, come into my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, if there's someone who's prayed something like that in their hearts and they've meant that with all sincerity, Father, I pray they would come forth this morning to publicly profess that faith in Christ. There may be others, Lord, who are here this morning who are believers, but Lord, they've been shy about sharing that message with others. Lord, as we look at the evidence throughout history, there have been many followers of Christ who have paid the price with their lives. And yet, all we're asking, Lord, is to just share with our friends here in, in the world and society we live in. There's no danger of us losing our life for doing that, as the disciples did. And so, Father, I pray that we would be faithful right where we are, right here in Tullahoma in our communities of, of Coffee and Franklin and, and, and Moore County and Bedford County, Lord, that we would share the gospel right where we live. Let it start at home. And then may it begin to spread to our communities, to our neighborhoods. Lord, may it spread throughout our state and, and our, our, our country and, and this whole continent, Lord, and even around the world. Father, it all hinges on what we have professed with our lips 
and believed in our hearts. Is Jesus our Lord? Did he arise from the dead? Lord, help us to answer that question with the positive answer, yes, by following him and declaring that truth of the gospel to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation, number 321, will you make your way and come as the Lord lays on your heart, Brother Mike, if you come. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment, Brother Rick, if you'll come and share our announcements. Uh, just a reminder for the stewardship ministry team, um, you have a meeting tomorrow at 5 p.m. Um, that was not in your bulletin. Just want to remind you of that. There's a few people we'd like for everybody to keep in their prayers. Um, Tony, Roger, uh, Tony Rogers and Jimmy Marlowe are both healing from their surgeries um, that happened very recently. Um, so they're uh, working on that. Uh, keep them in your prayer. And then uh, keep Robert Everett in your uh, prayers. Um, he's having knee surgery this week. So we want to make sure we're praying about that. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer and close. Dear gracious Lord, our Heavenly Father, we just come before you and thank you so much to allow us this time to worship you corporately, Lord. We just uh, thank you for Jesus Christ and his birth, um, his death and his resurrection that he overcame, Lord, um, for what it means for us, for us each and every day. Um, we just ask you to be with us, Lord, this week as we go uh, about our weekly business, and uh, we just ask you to uh, allow us to shine that light like Jesus Christ did for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.